Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Now. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cult of Collective Podcast. Yes, it's that time again. It's Doctor Who time. Yes, we're uh, collected the collective collectively together, and uh, we're about to set forth on a on a journey. We're running further than we've ever gone before into uh, this week's episode of uh, Doctor Who, which is the Impossible Astronaut, or somebody posted as a typo earlier, the Impossible Astronaut. I'm wondering if that's uh, an astronaut that can't grow moths. Anyway, joining me, of course, by my side, it's Mr. Dave AC. Hello, Dave. And that just confirms what I was about to say. President Nixon, actually, we're only his second choice. Podshot was going to be his first choice for this little airing about his uh, little story. But he's got the second choice. Yes, the top contemplative operatives. The wine, the water, and the ham. <laughs> and the ham. <laughs> of course, spoilers will abound, uh, because River Song's in it. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, um, save it till you have. All right, uh, joining us on the room very quickly is Benjamin Elliott, Charlie P79, Dar Skeptical, I voted for Saxon, Ramana 2, Stardust, Willis Girl, and High Minister on audio. Um, under the cone at the moment is Mr. Randall Thor, and he's been kept company by guests 16, 21, 22, and 24. I think they've all received invites uh, in blue envelopes. Silence has fallen on them. Boom, boom. Yes. All right. Uh, so, without any further ado, um, we are going to start talking about the impossible astronaut. Do you have an opening clip, Dave? I do indeed. Then play that clip. You know, this isn't nearly as bad as it looks. At the personal intervention of the king, the unnamed doctor was incarcerated without trial in the Tower of London. Okay, but it doesn't have to be here. According to contemporary accounts, two nights later, a magical sphere some 20 feet across was seen floating away from the tower, bearing the mysterious doctor aloft. Okay. It's him. What is it? Maybe? A date, a time, a map reference. I think it's an invitation. From who? It's not signed. Look, TARDIS blue. You better get down here, sir. She's doing it again. Dr. Song, sir. She's packing. Says she's going to some planet called America. This is it, yeah? Right place? Uh, nowhere. Middle of. Yeah, this is it. 
Howdy. Doctor! <laughs> it's the puns! Come on, hey. puns Hello, puns! Come here! Oh. And Rory the Roman! Oh, come oh. here! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, nice hat. I wear a Stetson now. Stetsons are cool. <laughs> Hello, sweetie. Yes, yes. roaring entrance. What a big, wide open space. And I bet there were a lot of Americans. Planet America? That sounds a good idea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Professor Rubberthong is back. The whole gang is back together. Uh, after a short montage sequence of the Doctor being all over time and space. Yes, uh, Tim Drury has now joined us. And of course, as I said uh, before we played that clip, uh, spoilers will abound. First up, of course, is Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Hello, sir. Hello. Okay, good to be back. I want to put everyone's minds back to the 19th of February, 1966. Some of us were alive then, some of us not yet. But um, on 19th February, 1966, a Doctor Who episode aired. And you had William Hartnell and Peter Purvis as the lead. Peter Purvis played even. He assumed the Doctor was acting undercover for mysterious purposes. And then William Hartnell's character winds up getting killed. And his body hiked off through the street. And the episode ends. 1966, the audience was left at the end of the episode thinking the Doctor had been killed off. I think most of us have forgotten that one. So, this was really an interesting one, and it's the first time I've gotten to see Doctor Who episode in HD on first broadcast. Right. That's a friend's house. Uh, no, Mike, that wasn't the death of Doctor Who. That was a dollar episode that happened earlier. It was part three of The Massacre, and I forget the exact episode. The Massacre is the one where, uh, for various story reasons, Doctor happened to look exactly like the Abbot boy, as the Abbot who gets killed. So, let's see, we began the episode with a death in the family, a Doctor Who family. We were let, they wanted to tell us some of the idea the Doctor could get killed, which of course lies in the face of all BBC market. But it was a really exciting way to start the story, and of course then the Doctor shows up minutes later, centuries young, looking exactly the same. So we have the West American Desert, we have 1969, we have Richard Nixon, we have Alien, River Song, Rory having a new role. My wife points this out. Rory's basically become the interpreter now. Rory's helping new people to understand the TARDIS group because, well, Amy's really too into it. Yeah. And I remember watching the episode and thinking, okay, how are, we, how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? And then it hit me after seeing uh, the new villain, The Silent, and how they took a person out of existence in one scene. I'm like, oh gosh, Stephen Moffat watched the same shows that I did 10 years ago. Because, um, don't know if you guys remember a program called Farscape, and Farscape was this science fiction series that ran in the late 90s, early aughts, BBC in the UK, sci-fi in the US, and you had this astronaut named John Crichton wound up across the galaxy. In the third season of the show, they had an episode called Eat Me, and you had these aliens who actually look a lot like the silence, who, for whatever reason, had a device that turned one person into two, making a perfect duplicate, and then they destroyed one of the people. So the two people were identical. It wasn't a case of you having an original clone. It was two identical models. So it didn't matter which one they killed. And both John Crichton survived. And the show dealt with that by, you wound up alternating episodes with the Crichtons for most of 
on their own separate journeys. One of them eventually gets killed, but that also ties into the story. Now, we have the TARDIS from The Lodger, and anyone who remembers my comments after The Lodger aired, well, my thoughts are the same. But uh, you have the TARDIS-looking TARDIS thing from The Lodger, and you remember that story? You had a, the creature in The Lodger was able to mimic all sorts of things, and you have this bizarre tech. I think we're going to wind up with two doctors, and I don't know how that will work in the course of the season, but I'm pretty confident we're going to wind up with two identical doctors the way this is going. In which case, the beginning can make perfect sense. Well, they burnt one of them already. Well, no, no. <laughs> they, 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 they have to have two before you can burn one. You're going to have one afterwards. So, uh, anyway, I could be completely wrong, of course. I'm sure I'll have a better idea next week. But I'm sticking with the two doctors. What about your, whole, your feeling about the whole thing, though, first, as a, an initial thing? Is it? I think the story was... I really get the feeling they were filming this as a 90-minute movie. And it just happens that kids are all, there's always talk where they're going to air the story over one weekend. And if they thought it was going to air over one weekend, I can certainly see why they left it so completely up in the air here and thinking, oh, well, we'll keep people in shock for a day and then come back and resolve it. So if they thought it was going to be a one-weekend thing and then it was decided to have it over separate weeks, and I'm not going to blame... You know, Doctor Who is supposed to have cliffhangers. It's supposed to... Sh- surprises, so I'm willing to run with it and let it go. I, I thought it was a good episode, and I want to see how they uh, get themselves out of it. All right, uh, moving on to Mr. Charlie P79, who is the five points up at this point. <laughs> History repeats itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the first time I saw it, I was kind of sort of dumbfounded about it, and I watched the thing uh, again today, and I sort of liked it more. I, you know, nice to see both uh, uh, members of the Shepherd family, both uh, Mark and his father, William Morgan Shepherd, playing uh, Canton Delaware III. When, when, I, when I first saw Mark Stan show up, I thought, oh, neat, because, you know, I've seen, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. And same thing with, you know, Mark. And I thought, that's, that, that, you know, in, uh, that's, that's probably one of the best uh, guest stars they've had in the series, Mark Shepherd. Just, I just... It's just like you know, like like that like that clip you play with the whole um, you know, with the whole because we saw the whole Jamie Dodgers and the Feds, the map, and he just came in his map. It's just you know, like I love his you know sort of straight lace kind of you know, and his reaction to seeing the TARDIS was great, and just you know, good you know, good dialogue with the whole uh, <laughs> the whole bit with the Doctor saying his team, you know, they got legs, nose, and Mrs. Robinson, I eat you, and you know, it's just <laughs> the whole uh, you know. You know, make it blue again and everything like that. But uh, I thought was mock dialogue and stuff like that. Yeah, just looking forward to uh, next week. Kind of dark. <laughs> it's the end with the, that cliffhanger. Yeah, well, I, it's, again, with, with two-parters, it's always, I can't really say what it is. I can't really you know, judge it until I see the second part. Are you more confident about Stephen Moffat's second part of a two-part story than you are maybe Russell T. Ooh. Davis are? I tend to like Moffat two-parters least, except for maybe maybe the Weeping Angels two-parter, but usually I like his, his one-part stories more. Well, maybe that's during the RTD era than with his era, but... Yeah, Stephen tries to make the, uh, both uh, jump people about and make them think a little bit more. There, mm-hmm. there's, there's no way that this is not aimed at above eight-year-olds, I would have thought. I'm sure Jumpy Goface was able to enjoy it and watch it and follow it. Let me play a second clip, Ian, and then You pick your next victim. Okay. So what's happening then? Because you've been up to something. 
I've been running faster than I've ever run, and I've been running my whole life. Now it's time for me to stop. And tonight, I'm going to need you all with me. Okay. We're here. What's up? Picnic. I'm on a trip. Somewhere different. Somewhere brand new. Where? Space. 1969. Hello. And since when do you drink wine? I'm 1103. I must have drunk it sometime. Oh, oh white's horrid. I, I, I thought it would taste more like the gums. 1103. You were 908 last time we saw you. And you've put on a couple of pounds. I wasn't going to mention it. Who's there? Hmm? Who's who? Sorry, what? What did you see? You said you saw someone. <laughs> the moon. Look at it. Of course, you lot did a lot more than look, didn't you? Big silvery thing in the sky. You couldn't resist it. The moon landing was in 69. Is that where we're going? Oh, a lot more happens in 69 than anyone remembers. Human beings. I thought I'd never get done saving you. All right, Tim. Um... Oh, it's one of those where to start. There was so much good stuff about this one. I mean, the the location shooting was amazing. Just epic views of these Arab... Now I keep forgetting the state. Utah deserts. Some Also some very clever moments, which I didn't even realise until I listened to Blog to Who's commentary, and that's that they walk into... Uh, traditional US diner at one point and me having eaten in one back in February thought oh, obviously that's a real US diner they found while they were out in the States nope it's one on Cardiff Bay <laughs> yep now joined my um, list of places to visit in Cardiff because that's very should be very easy to find there somewhere to have lunch or tea on um, well it's just there's just so many clever ideas in this one I mean the 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 elephant in the room, of course, is the the death of the Doctor right near the beginning. Moffat keeps insisting that that is the Doctor that's died, and as as Benjamin says, there's there's two of them now. Well, there kind of is already two of them because they're then hanging out with the one who's parked his TARDIS in the restroom. The only real letdown for me was that there's been a lot of hype around the silence being really, really scary. And I think I find the idea of them more scarier than the actual experience of watching them so far. But the idea of a of a, a creature that you only realise it exists when you're looking at it, I thought was wonderfully well realised. And there was some writing uh, in that uh, bathroom scene that reminded me of... Um, Oh, it was way, way, way back, the very first episode of Torchwood, uh, where there's a weevil in the hospital, I think it is, sort of closed ward. Someone approaches this weevil and they, they say quite understandably what you might say, sort of, hey, that's good, is it some kind of mask? And you kind of got that, but you got it in a, in a sort of tape loop fashion with this lady in the bathroom looking at this thing and going, hey, that's really good. And she turns around to talk to... Amy, and suddenly she, she you, you get that great sound effect that um, I don't know, don't know if, uh, who's come up with that Murray Gold or, or one of the sound team have come up with this great sound effect of just to indicate that that moment 
their memory's gone and they're, they're just not aware of not only do they forget the things there but they, it seems to just disappear from their perception to use a word that Mr Moffat seems to like another great thing to say about this is I have absolutely no idea where the story's going to go next I'm sure some people will speculate over the next few minutes but I've got no idea myself it was good to see the um, the lodger TARDIS again I still don't like this idea of joining the time router to the ceiling but other than that it is a great piece of design the only thing other thing I'll add because my mind is running out of things to say on this is uh, some great moments that Ian mentioned I think before we started recording uh, about River Song uh, where he's trying to do all this like non-standard stuff with the TARDIS like land it in cloaked invisible mode and and land it on silence <laughs> and River Song who knows the controls far better than him is whizzing round like flicking this switch and turning this dial and he's going oh did you touch something and she's going oh nothing sweetie <laughs> it, it's a nice nice thing it, it, well, I'm going to miss River Song when she's gone it, it, it does sound like um, we're going to see the back of her this year which will be a real shame um, so was it a, a good season opener is that your I think it was a cracking season opener I mean I was in a way, genuinely worried about this one because it, it's the first time we've started with a two-parter and I can blow a little bit hot and cold on two-parters because they can be a bit uneven and hopefully part two can live up to part one uh, with this. But it, it, it more than outweighed my expectations. I had Andre T of the Happiness Patrol trying to have a Skype conversation with me last night and I was a bit too busy with my podcast edit, uh, and um, I, I, I don't really want to talk to people like him who've seen part two until I've seen part two. I can understand that, yeah. But um, uh, the only other thing I'll throw into the mix is that I don't think they were ever really planning to show it over two days, because if you think about it, there's, uh, what, seven episodes in this opening run is it or six seven I believe. seven yeah well that means you've only got seven weeks of doctor who to play with and you're effectively throwing a week of that away just to make a sort of splash in the ratings which is not that i can remotely read the scheduler's minds but it's just a bit out of character for them to do with doctor who it it would have been something that would have surprised me less had they well, were they to do it if they weren't splitting the season? But as they are splitting the season, you've only got those seven weeks to play with, so you might as well have seven weeks rather than effectively waste one and cut it down to six. But um, no, I, I thought a, a cracking episode, um, and another thought that does spring to mind is a Higgins a Laurel and Hardy fan, not, not one that's quite ardent enough to identify the film, but apparently it's Sons of the Desert, according to Tony Galishan. Oh, yeah, the, on the, 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 well, the Foreign Legion. Well, no, 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 Sons of the Desert. Um, I do know the plot of it, because I've got the DVD box set of the Blol and Hardy movies, and Sons of the Desert is about them lying to their wives uh, that they're going off on some business trip or something, when in reality they're actually hanging out with this kind of, like, guys club, really, that's effectively just a drinking club. Uh, to cut a long story short, they're, they're found out by 
means of uh, a, a disaster and, and a movie newsreel because a uh, resort where they're going to uh, uh, some boat or whatever that they're meant to be on is like hit with bad weather and the wives are all, oh my god, what's happened to our husbands? And they're like waiting for news. And then they go to the cinema and see the newsreel and there's like this big parade of all these Sons of the Desert clubs that have gathered at some hotel or something for a convention big like parade down the street and they see their husbands and so it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit wait till they get home <laughs> it, it it gave matt smith an excuse to wear a fez again which is good good news in my book no i have absolutely no idea what direction it's going to go in and so i'm going to say goodbye so i've got time to make a, a cup of tea before david tennant comes on bbc2 and i look forward to hearing people speculate as to what's going to happen next Right, well, we'll stay united here. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> right, thanks, Tim. All right. Uh, next we go to Ramana 2. Hello, boys. Hello. Can you walk in? Yes? Yep, fine. No, we can't. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll first say that this might be the only show I make it on reviewing who while in the seven weeks that we've got, only because we've Four in the morning for me now, so I can't do that once I start work <laughs> again. And yeah, so sadly. But anyway, I'm here now. I really like this one. Um, I didn't really read any other people's thoughts about it, only a few people on Twitter, and I got the opinion and everyone didn't like it, so I'm kind of glad that I'm not the only one who did that. But yeah, so um, I'll just say one thing that really amused me, of course, was the little beginning um, little montage thing with all the doctors running around history. And, of course, what first struck me was um, the doctor hiding under a girl's dress. I don't know why that I found that so amusing. But I just did, mainly because I've got lots of friends who do big puppy dresses at conventions and hiding under them is always seems to move up. So, so <laughs> it's a good place to hide something. Needless to say, at Actually, at Galifrey, um, there was a girl doing a Renette costume, and my friend who was cosplaying with Jack, of course, she was tied under her dress just for the, for the entertainment of it all, so it kind of reminded me of that in a roundabout way. But anyway, I want to really talk about what I can remember, and as for the plot, it's kind of really hard to review with it just being part one, because a few reviews I've got, a few of the negative reviews I've got saying basically people were saying, oh, it made no sense, it was too complicated, this and that. And I pretty much thought, well, it's a two-parter, this is part one, of course it's not going to make sense yet, which I thought some people were being a bit too premature to jump in and say, I don't understand what's going on, because I don't understand what's going on either, but that's great. You're not supposed to. Me. You're not <laughs> supposed to. It's great, leaving me, you know, looking forward to next week, you know, m massively, because I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm really curious to know what is going to happen. So, um, so as for plot, I mean, it's looking great so far, but who knows what's going to happen because Moffat has warned there's going to be lots of twists and turns and shocking things this season. So I'm just pretty much sitting back and going on the roller coaster ride that Moffat's going to take us on, and I say bring it on. But um, there's something I will mention, of course, with the Doctor's death, which really did come out of nowhere. It was... Um, I guess not really out of nowhere, but the actual impact of it, the moment of it, was a genuine shock where you're going, oh, my goodness, you know. And then when they, you know, you go, oh, no, he's regenerating. But then when they shoot him during regeneration, that was incredibly, I don't know, horrific. I don't know. I, I found it. I kind of, it, 
right along there with Amy and almost crying along with her, even though I knew that, obviously, this isn't going to be the end, obviously. There's more. I mean, I've seen filming pictures. Of course there's more. But at the same time, it was genuine. That moment was generally felt by me. Um, and I thought it was very great. And I think I think Tim's probably gone. Put a mention about the the cinematography of when the doctor's body was burning across the on the river. Oh yes. And the kind of that shot of um, I think we've got Rory in the front and then Amy and then Delaware and then and then River mm. like and that just shot is just amazing. Like the cinematography in this was just I mean they had fantastic landscape to work with so um, but I thought they captured it really brilliantly and that whole scene was. Maybe. And, of course, as a Rory fan girl, I love the fact that it was Rory that stepped up and suggested the boat thing. But, and also, there's basically lots of little bits about, you know, Rory having a couple rolls in the car to find with and really enjoyed that. This one, sticking on Rory, there was this one little moment that kind of just bit of symmetry that I thought was amusing. Because in the Pandora opens, um, when the Doctor first sees Rory alive, he pokes him. And there's that classic <laughs> moment where he kind of does that, that little poke. And then in this one, you've got Rory poking the doctor as soon as he sees him alive, and it was just like that nice little interaction between the characters that kind of brings it full circle to the Pandora's open. So I thought I loved that a lot. And the same way, there's lots of you know, lots of there's lots of things really amusing about this episode, but it was also very dark, but um, not overly dark, um, which I thought was it had the nice balance between darkness and lightness, although probably part of that knows what part two is going to bring. But when it comes to darkness, I really thought the silence, if that's what we can call them, that's what they're called, are proper, proper freaky. I've always seen them that not get really, Dr. Hamilton's usually don't scare me that much. The Weeping Angels, I didn't really find terribly scary, more creepy than anything. I didn't really actually find them that scary until the time of Angels, because in Blink, all they really did was send you to the past. In blink, they just really killed you. So it wasn't really that scare factor for me. I'm sure it was creepy, but it wasn't really properly scary because as long as you kept your eyes open, you know, as long as you were looking at them, you could still see them. And at least you could remember them. See, the thing about the silence that was so freaky is the fact you can't remember them when you're not seeing them. And what really sold it for me was the head might be you know, looking as scared as I've ever seen him look before. And then all of a sudden just turn around to everyone and say, Nothing's there. It's all fine. And it's just like, no, it's behind you, to quote that classic pantomime saying, yes, yeah, so they're really proper freaky. So, um, I was quite scared, especially the way that the silence killed that poor, poor woman in the bathroom. That was just horrific. Um, but brilliant. Ruined her dress. Um, it certainly did ruin her dress. Poor Amy. Um, so, yeah, so, again, something I don't think it's been mentioned yet. Amy's up the dock. Um, <laughs> Do you leave up the top of the world? I think that's not the mystery yeah. place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, like I'm going, okay. I kind of expected that to happen because as soon as um as soon as she said, Oh, I feel sick and I'm going, Oh dear <laughs> then you had River say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that was So I don't know what's going on there. Anki Panky um, the Tardy say. Well it's a married couple of really, course. The only thing I can think of even though it's in actual it's, 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 it's one of these really, you know, the River Song theories. You hear them all the time, and some of them are absolutely insane. Like, one I heard was that River was actually Jack. She had a gender swap, but that, of course, 
because, you know, he's from the 51st century and obviously he can do that. But um, another theory I've heard was that River was Amy and Rory's child or Amy and the doctor's child. And the fact that maybe Rory, um, maybe, sorry, um, the fact that River's feeling sick with Amy's could be because feeling herself being grown in... Oh, like sympathetic know, pregnancy, so to say. Sympathetic pregnancy because she's the one that's in Amy's... Or... Uterus, or mm. I don't know. It could be... It's one of those insane theories that you go, oh, of course, that's not going to happen. But now I'm kind of thinking, maybe. <laughs> but um, I still doubt it. I'm still waiting and seeing and just take, sitting back and letting Moffat take me on the ride. I'm trying not to overanalyze things too much because um, I know whatever I think is going to happen is not going to happen because Moffat's just going to go, nope, that's too obvious. I'm going to do something <laughs> completely don't expect. So, and that's partly what I love about him. Um, about well, his version of the show. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Ramona. I'm going to uh, play, if I may, um, the yep. clip, because you mentioned about the Rory part in this in the boat. So let me play that, and you can mm -hmm. come back just to answer anything that that reminds you of, and then uh, mm -hmm. Ian can pick uh, someone else. Whatever happens now, you do not interfere. That's an Apollo astronaut in a lake. <laughs> Hello. It's okay, I know it's you. Well then. What's he doing? Oh no! Amy! Don't stay back! Don't stay! I'm sorry. regeneration cycle. His body was already dead. I believe I can save you some time. That most certainly is the doctor. And he is most certainly dead. He said you'd need this. Gasoline. A Time Lord's body is a miracle. Even a dead one. We can't leave him here. There's a boat. If we're going to do this, let's do it properly. And Romana, do you want to come back for a moment before we move on? Um, yeah, I'll come back briefly and then I'll I'll head back off the bed because um yeah, <laughs> four a.m. waking up not fun. Not so much else to say other than really looking to next week um, and hoping that it's going to pay off and that it's going to as not be it's going to be not complicated the end well as complicated as it comes when it when Moffat is involved. Um, so the, all these people saying, I don't understand, will, you know, change their tune. Because, um, I don't know, I know everyone's a pit title for their own opinion, but I do kind of get a little bit disappointed when people don't give things a chance, especially when it's, you know, only part one. So, um, you know, you, you judge a story on based on both parts, and um, hopefully part two will live up and will be enjoyable. Can't wait to see how all this is going to turn out, because, blimey, um, it's kind of gotten, gone the more in a bit of a 
jam. <laughs> um, well, it's got people <laughs> spinning after one episode, so yeah. I know. I, and this is only episode one. Can you just imagine the mid-season cliffhanger? Knowing what the, if we're going to be going insane. <laughs> but all the best for it, because um, that's what, you know, Doctor should be, it should make me really excited and really, yeah, just looking forward to when it comes. So, yes, that's all I want to say for it. I really enjoyed this part of it. And leaving on part two. Thanks very much. Nice. And, with that, and if you're I going, yeah. you all too. So, goodbye, boys. Hopefully, I might pop on next week, but who knows. <laughs> so, yes. Bye-bye, boys. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Dark Skeptical is next on the list. Surprise! Hello. And what a surprise it is, indeed. Um, <laughs> Pounce. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, um, you know, the first time that I saw this, I, I, I have to say that my mouth was open pretty much the entire time that I watched it because I was truly enraptured and there were things being thrown at me, you know, in the traditional Moffat style, once every 10 minutes, do something that shocks your audience. And I was sort of, you know, happily buying it uh, as I went through. There were um, obviously things that, uh, you know, just hit you in the face that you really like to be in with. First of all, you know, we have to give props to the return of our new dynamic duo, and that's, of course, Toby Haynes and, and um, Stefan Pearson, uh, the director and, and director of photography, who were old friends, as we discovered last season. I mean, this is now, what, the third story in a row uh, that they've done, at least in broadcast order. I don't know what to say at this point, except that excellence is expected and excellence is delivered. Uh, they are just fabulous together, and uh, I don't know that we see them again this series, but I, I certainly hope that we'll see them again at some future point because they're just great together. Um, we also have uh, some great work by our two Barbaras now, you know, Barbara Southcutt, who's the um, makeup designer, and um, Barbara Kidd, our costume supervisor, our Academy Award-winning costumer. And, um, you know, what I really like, and I, I think we were getting hints of that at A Christmas Carol, but now it looks confirmed, is that the Barbara Kidd approach to the 11th Doctor is different from what we got in Series 5 in that he's crisp. And I like that. I like the fact that the jacket has changed just enough to make it look professional. It's not something that he just got in a hospital now. Now it is a part of his style, and he's apparently gone to a tailor to actually get something done about that. The shirts are nicer, and most especially, the bow tie is apparently real. Now, it may not be. It may still be something that is on a, an elastic band around his neck, but it looks like it's a bigger bow tie, it's fuller, it looks like it is something that is actually tied. And I just like that look, and complimented by the other barber's work, you know, I like that his hair is neat now. Um, some people won't like that. Some people like the unkempt look that we got in Series 5. But I, I dig that the lines on Matt Smith are crisp now. He, he looks like somebody who's actually taking care of himself, not somebody who's, you know, just accidentally thrown on some clothes after a regeneration and never taken a look in a mirror. Um, the other thing I like about what Barbara Kidd is doing is this very subtle thing that he, she's doing, at least in this episode, with uh, Rory and Amy, in that if you look at what they're dressed in, it looks like they went to, you know, the same M&S and picked out clothes from you know, a department store. They look very ordinary. They look like they're, you know, complimentary, that they basically have the same sense of style. One of them is wearing, you know, green but tiny stripes. The other one red but plaid. But they basically look like, you know, they just went and got an average shirt, but yet they look like a married couple because they're wearing kind of the same thing that complements each other. So that's very nice. 
my God, what are we doing now with uh, Rivers' outfit? Seriously, Alex Kingston has never looked better than what she's dressed in in this episode. The jean look is great. Her ass is fabulous in that thing. Um, Hooray! Seriously, hooray indeed. But, I mean, this is Barbara Kidd's work. I mean, I really think that your look, I mean, just everybody just looks crisp and neat, and and yet their story, their their costume says something about who they are as people. Um, And I just, man, I'm I'm digging the Barbara Kidd era. Um, And and then Murray Gold, you know, you're hit, I think, in the pre-title sequence with a return to something we really haven't had I don't think for about you know four seasons now, and that is Murray Gold picking up an electric guitar and laying down some bass track. And you know I love the fact that we have electronic guitar uh, or electric guitar rather going through this soundtrack and interspersed you know with occasional orchestra music. It's not all big orchestral sound. And we also appear to have, and I don't know who the vocalist is, but it sounds like it could be Melanie Pappenheim who's back from. A fairly long absence. I mean, she was, you know, the quintessential voice, obviously, of the Ninth Doctor's theme and the early Tenth Doctor's theme. Um, but you know that that music that um, Romana was just pointing out on the beach when the Doctor, you know, had apparently died. Our guest did die. We don't know that lovely single voice choral, female choral stuff. That's really, really good. Where I've got some problems with the episode, I suppose, in terms of behind-the-scenes stuff, is, uh, unfortunately, Michael Pickwood. He really let me down, and his visual design of the Oval Office, I'm sorry, pulled me right the hell out of this thing. That is not the Nixon Oval Office in any way, shape, or form. And it's not even, you know, he could have gone with late Nixon. If he really wanted to get, you know, the, the, the American seal on the carpet, he could have gone to, you know, 1973, 1972-ish Nixon and at least used that one. But he didn't even do that. He didn't even give us, like, the gold curtains that are, are, are familiar from the late Nixon era. He instead gave us, really, the West Wing Oval Office, the fictional thing, it's just, which is sort of based on the Bill Clinton uh, Oval Office. And it just really didn't work for me. It screamed out to me, if this is fake. And to find out that they actually built the damn set from the ground up and they did it wrong, it just pisses me off. Because, you know, one of the, um, the most iconic images, really, of Richard Nixon, at least the positive side of Richard Nixon, is the call from the Oval Office to the Apollo 11 astronauts. So we have photographic evidence of what the Richard Nixon Oval Office looked like at the time that this episode is set. And it didn't look anything like this. Would that uh, have been in black and white, by the way, though? Uh, uh, I mean, there, are color, there, are color, there are color photographs as well. Okay. Um, it was a momentous thing. There certainly was color film at the time. You know, the, the distinguishing thing of the 1969 Nixon White House is there's no presidential seal on the carpet. The carpet is the same old LBJ carpet of being this ugly, ugh, teal, very, ugh. it's nasty. And that may be why Pickwood said, well, that's just too ugly to use. But that would have been accurate the other thing is you know that it's so clearly not the nixon desk which is the old vice presidential wilson desk um it's too light it, it doesn't have the wood grain features that are on the um the the top of it it would have been a more of a it's not mahogany but it would have been a closer mm, somewhere in between mahogany and cherry in terms of its color my point is it just clearly on some What's behind him, there was never a, a clock behind Nixon that looked like that, never a wooden clock behind him. 
um, at this early in the Nixon presidency, just like you know the first few months of the Obama presidency, there's no, nothing on the, the table behind him, really. There are no personal photographs. The whole thing is just wrong, and it pulled me out since so much of the episode is set there. Um, right. And, you know, maybe that's not fair, maybe that's nitpicky, but, I mean, sorry, it just hit me right in the face. The, the other thing that I was insulted at one point, actually, by the script of Stephen Moffat, also in the Oval Office scene um, with the doctors sitting now behind the desk and he's got all the guns trained on him, and he says, oh, they're not going to shoot me. I got it. You know, nobody's going to shoot me. And then River Song comes out and says, but they're Americans. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Of course they're going to shoot you. And I'm sorry, but I found that, as an American, offensive. Uh, if she had come out and said, but they're the Secret Service, fine. Uh, but to, to come out and say, well, because they're Americans, they naturally will therefore shoot you, yeah. I think is... Um, yeah, she should have said they have the authority to shoot you are... You know, they, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's a lovely those, for sure. Yeah. You hear it all the time yeah. on, on British chat shows when they're trying to take a pot shot at America. Offend, you know, no pun intended, but they, yeah. they do. And, you know, when you look at American public opinion, American public opinion is in no way behind the carrying of guns. Most people don't know people who have guns. Uh, it's just not, you know, it's a vocal minority and unfortunately an armed minority that, you know, keeps the gun thing alive. It just, it made me so mad. Um, and in general, I didn't like the depiction of America here. I hated that damn cafe. Um, you know, I have to, Tim said earlier, he thought it was filmed in America. No, it wasn't. That cafe was the fakest looking damn thing I have ever seen in my life. What I didn't understand was, why didn't they just go into a cafe somewhere in America? Why, it would have made so much better sense if they had mm. done the sensible thing and gone into a Mexican restaurant, which I'm sure they could have found somewhere in Moab, Utah. Or, or there was in the Confidential, there was a cafe there that the production personnel were in, that they gave a little interview in, and that looked like, you know, fine. That, you know, the booze, the traditional sort of, uh, Western America in the cafe in the modern age, do that. But this sort of retro 50s thing, on top of, you know, that station wagon that they got for the doctor to be on, that was, you know, I've never seen a car like that in my life. I'm sure they existed, but I have never seen anything no, no, like no, no, that. No. When he was on that car, it was present day, remember? It was, that was like an antique car. No, I understand that. But what, right. I'm saying, what I'm saying is the combination of that antique car, which was, Really bizarre, and I, I don't, again, I've it never seen that model of car yeah. before. With this, you know, 50s retro diner, with the talk of 1969, for a moment, made me just be yeah. out of time completely. I was like, where am I in, supposed to be in the 50s? Am I in the 60s? Where am <laughs> yeah. I? And then I? And then I looked behind, and I saw, oh, there's inset lighting, there's lots of complicated neon. No, okay, I am in the present day, but it was... They were trying well, to do just, too many iconic little American things, too many cliched American things to represent America, and it, and it actually pissed me off a little bit. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I, I just want to jump in on I mean, I agree with you, because when I first saw the yellow bus, the school mm. bus, I thought, I wonder if they were using those in 1969. But, of course, Rory and Amy had arrived in America, so we're in modern times. But I right. think you're right. The use of things that weren't obviously of the day confuse this time element, especially like you say with the Doctor. Uh, I think they wanted a, a, a car with bullhorns on the front or something like that to make, you know, it's a little Fine. bit like when, when they film the UK, you have to have a red bus uh, 
are the Houses of Parliament right. in the background. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I just thought it was, um, it was distasteful because they could have done so many more interesting things to truly represent America. They really, honestly, they should have gone into a Mexican restaurant. It would have been nice if they'd gone into a diner, like from the animated story, you know, the yeah. one from the era 51, one of those, like, uh, wagons that's converted rail Train car things. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they could have done that. They, I mean, there are a lot of Western restaurant designs. You know, there are places that look like hot dogs. There are places that look like donuts. There are places that look like hamburgers, whatever. They could have found something, and I think within a reasonable proximity of where they were, I think. Now, of course, I don't really know that area of the country well, so I may be a little bit talking out of turn, and maybe it would have been an added expense to go somewhere where there was a town. But it seemed to me in the, in the confidential, I've never been to Moab, but you know, when I was looking at the confidential, it looked like a reasonable sort of town, yeah. and I saw them pass by a Mexican restaurant. I know it did. They could have gone in that. They lost that 12 night. hours. Uh, they said that they had to get a private jet to get Matt Smith in there, fly minutes, so they lost... Half a day's filming or something. Well, yeah, that may be true. But, I mean, overall, the, 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 the general flavor of America, which I thought was coming, and I was really excited about that they were going to somewhere you wouldn't think of going to in America, really, and that's Utah, was lost because I think they just did things Hollywood. They did things like, it's not even Hollywood, really. It's more that they did things um, in, in just such a cliched way with the production design that... It, I, I'm not happy with Michael Pickford on this, and I don't know how much of it's fair to lay on his plate because it could have been that Stephen Moffat said specifically, you know, go into a 50 diner or something like that in the script. I just, uh, I just found the locations here terrible. Now, luckily, it does look like in the next episode that we're going to other American locations, so maybe we'll get a, a different feel of what America is out of those, but I don't know. But anyway, you know, those those sort of or my sort of um, behind-the-scenes thing. In terms of the story, I'm not sure. You know, it certainly is the most impactful episode one of a series that we've had in terms of, you know, starting you with a bullet right at the, at the very beginning. And, you know, I'm not sure there's ever been quite such an action-packed first story. Who knows how good this is going to turn out to do it this way, to sort of front-load the, the series with everything that, you know, is going to pay off at the end. Um, I, I really wonder how effective, though, this is. I mean, this is the anti-11th hour. The 11th hour was like the perfect place to come into a series. I don't know how good of a story this is for new people. Uh, and I understand that BBC America put on some sort of little voiceover by Amy sort of basically sketching out what Doctor Who is about at the top of the episode. And I can kind of understand that because I think it, it's confusing as hell what the hell is going on at the beginning. But at the same time, as somebody who's watched a lot of this, I found that very exciting. I was like, oh, you know, part of me was really glad that it starts out this way and that, it, you know, you're right into the depths of stuff and you, you're, you're building on knowledge that you had from before. But again, you know, you kind of have to think every year, doesn't the first one have to be easy for people to get into? I don't know. We'll see how this turns out. But it, it certainly is very different than any other season opening that we've had before. I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, in a way, the, one of the things that I thought was that they were trying to explain a lot. As it's been mentioned already, Rory's been given the task of telling that secret agent, you know, and 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 they, but admittedly, they do it in very in very shorthand mode. But I think mm -hmm. one of the other reasons he wanted to make clear 
to to new viewers, whether they be from America or elsewhere, you know, this doctor is not invulnerable and all these lies you might have heard of. He's not an immortal. You know, he can he can be killed. So in some ways, he's trying to get a lot of ground rules down there. Probably difficult. Let me uh, just play another clip, and then uh, we've had. Sorry for those people waiting, but um, Sorry, guys, we, we want to get before we yeah just before we um, yeah on that, just on the point of the the whole filming in actual diners in the United States. The only thing I can think as a possible defence for the production team is that perhaps they didn't actually bring any equipment that would be required to film indoors. I mean, they might have just flown out to the United States to, to film all those lovely outdoor desert scenes and that's all they were set up to film over there. You just didn't, you know, you need different equipment, different cameras, different stuff to film indoor scenes. And maybe that's possibly why they didn't uh, use a, pro a real American diner or the real, well, I couldn't use the real Oval Office for obvious reasons, but, you know, why there wasn't any real indoor scenes in the United States. Possibly, they weren't equipped for it. Oh, they only had the license to do outdoors, maybe. Well, I don't. I don't there's think no such thing as. I don't think there's such thing as just an outdoor filming license. Well, I, I. That's possible. On the other hand, they are being backed by you know an in-country company. I mean, they are being backed mm. by BBC America, who would have some you know equipment. Cause they, I mean, BBC America does produce shows on its own. I mean, they have. At least they have a news department, which, you know, those cameras, if they're fixed cameras, you know, who knows? I, I'm not sure I'm buying that. I, it's a possibility, but I do think that BBC America m might have well supplied some um, equipment there or at least made it easier. I, don't, I just kind of don't think that they would have spent all the money on shipping over their own specialized equipment. I'm sure they did some, but some of it had to be here on the ground already. Scotty, I'll play that clip and then come back with your little thoughts about it. This is cold. Even by your standards, this is cold. Or hello, as people used to say. Doctor. Just popped out to get my special straw. It adds more fizz. Okay. I'm assuming that's for something I haven't done yet. Yes, it is. Good, looking forward to it. I don't understand. How can you be here? I was invited. Tell her what age you are. 909. Yeah, but you said you... So were... where does that leave us, huh? Jim the Fish? Have we done Jim the Fish yet? Who's Jim the Fish? I don't understand. Yeah, you do. I don't. What are we all doing here? We've been recruited. Something to do with space, 1969. And a man called Canton Everett, Delaware the Third. The doctor we saw on the beach is a future version. 200 years older than the one up there. But all that's still gonna happen. He's still gonna die. We have to tell him. We've told him all we can. I'm being extremely clever up here and there's none to stand around looking impressed. What's the point in having you all? Why don't we just slap him sometimes? Ripper, we can't just let him die. The doctor's death doesn't frighten me, nor does my own. There's a far worse day coming for me. Okay, Scardis, you're back on. Well, first point of that is, I loved it. It's an excellent episode, uh, really dark, scary, and I'm really looking forward to uh, next week's episode. A couple of confusing points from my, from my point of view is where does the whole start of it fit in relation not only to what we saw there with Christmas Carol, 
But the little cuts, the little um, comic relief scenes that we saw there, space and time. Now, if you remember the setup in that, towards the very start of those, we had Amy a little anxious and wanting to ask the doctor something, uh, making them point that she wanted to ask a question rather than you know tell her tell them something. So I doubt that about the pregnancy then, although. The doctor did know, the doctor did know when they were kind of on that uh, on the lakeside that she gained weight. So was she pregnant at the time of space and time? I don't know. We might find out um, later on in the series. They do. Sorry, they do say there's been a right at the beginning when the the couple were in their flat. They do say it's six weeks since they saw the doctor. So you know they've had time. You know, out of the TARDIS, as it were. Yeah. You know, kind of. Yeah. Like I say, that that whole kind of anxious. Uh, question to ask, you know, in that those, I mean, in that time, did she actually go ahead and ask that question or not? Um, Moffat suggested on Twitter a long time ago that that might pop up again. Whether or not it's a pregnancy, well, we'll, we'll see as time goes on. I have to say that the opening scene with uh, the, 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 the classic fusiliers or whoever they were that kind of came in and said, where's the doctor? That threw me off me because I was actually expecting that to be coming from the pirates episode, you know, I thought that, 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 that looked a very um, Pirates of the Caribbean thing to just burst in the doors of the captain's uh, court and say, where's the doctor? So that's where I was expecting that to come in, and, uh, and to see it there was like, oh, I don't know what's coming up at all. The whole um, hiding under the skirt, which was absolutely funny and hilarious and all that stuff, and then the uh, breakout of the, the uh, prison and the whole thing of uh, trying to attract, doing all this to attract Amy and Roy's attention. And an uh, interesting note as well on that scene, uh, we're talking about that, that it would appear that Rory and Amy seem to have moved out of Ledworth because that flat suddenly seems a little more cramped, a little more urban area than what we'd be used to in Ledworth. So they seem to have maybe moved into Gloucester or somewhere like that. Um, so that, that, that was interesting. They moved away from Ledworth to find a new life there. And then we go get the summons and river, you know, doing it again and we're expect I was expecting something cool like oh she's using the lipstick again another guard car but no they just said she's packing her bag she's off to America and Panama called America come on man seriously in whatever century 53rd century you've never heard of Earth, uh, a country in Earth history called America I find that a little hard to believe but minor point so we move on to the doctor uh, on the beach or on the lakeside rather meeting the pond then uh, we're in the Stetsons, Stetsons are cool, the, the shot and the, the lovely intro of the now free River Song, shooting the hat off and then off to the diner. Uh, interesting points about that car, uh, I've seen a very um, cartoony theory uh, on the internet that that might actually be the 1103-year-old Dr. TARDIS. And uh, he takes the comedian circuit and he was using that, that, that was the, the TARDIS. That was in because uh, when you think about it, we don't actually know where 1103-year-old TARDIS is. The first time we see the TARDIS, it belongs to the 907-year-old doctor. So where's 1103-year-old TARDIS? But as to what happens to that, well, that was answered back in turn left. When the doctor dies, the TARDIS fades away and dies with him. So yeah, that, that, that was fun. And then the whole regeneration and the shoot the interruption of the regeneration. Now, much to a few fan chagrin, uh, Adam J. Purcell in particular, 
we were sort of spoiled at one about 24 hours before the episode airs. The BBC's website puts up pictures which clearly shows the Doctor beginning to regenerate. You know, would kind of irk me more than the 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 CDWM. They they just kind of open was it River, Rory, Amy, or the Doctor? Um, but then the the uh, the website answered that question. Oh, it's the Doctor because he's halfway through regenerating, and then get, but then gets shot and the regeneration is interrupted. Oh, and I. I have to now. I have to compliment the direction around that whole death and uh, regeneration. The, 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 the kind of the handheld camera running down the, the, the uh, to, to, to the doctor, as if I think we've seen it from either Rory's or Amy's point of view. Like yeah. how they, how they're feeling. The whole thing is going on in a blur. Like wait, what? What's going on? Huh? And they're running down, and you know this can't be happening. And and, and quickly shoot the astronaut. Get rid of him. Or, no, no, don't die, and, and all that. So I thought the direction around that was absolutely superb, and the whole direction uh, around that lakeside was absolutely fantastic. And of course, um, Canton, well, not Canton Senior, but obviously he's uh, the actor Senior, but not Canton, mm. still Canton the Third. But yeah, he very traditional American kind of uh, what you expect, kind of the, the wise old man. To um, he's been in lots of science fiction shows, and he's passed. Uh, yeah, well, I. Probably, I don't watch as much as the American science fiction as probably I should as, as a sci-fi fan. But uh, yeah, just he, like I say, he was there as the kind of the, 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 the kind of the wise old man of the desert uh, to, to say, you know, that's definitely Doctor and he's definitely dead. And the whole, who are you? Uh, my name's Canton the Third, and you'll meet me again. But this is the last time I'll see you. So more the the, the time stuff, and of course the Viking funeral, which was very well shot and and, and nicely done. That they, because of the way that the, the sun set, they had to work the two different angles. You know that the, the sunset was behind the actors, but the sunrise when it was uh, looking across the lake, was of course because of the angle of where they were shooting, they had needed the sunset at all times. So, so that was very cleverly worked in, I, I thought. And then back into the humour again when the the 907 year old doctor returns and gets slapped and poking, as Anna points out. That was all very funny and all that. And then we have um, the scene in the TARDIS where you know, he's saying, oh, I've got this summons. And Now, I'm doubtful that the 907-year-old Doctor is as clueless as he's making himself out. I mean, the clues are all there for him. There, you know, the man he, who trusts him the most, uh, or someone who trusts him the most, the, the whole... We're not being threatened. We, we, we've been summoned. We, you have to trust us on fish fingers and custard. And you know the the, the scenes where they seem where the doctor seems to be away when he's uh, Justin and they were talking under the console. His ears out. So I I think past doctor isn't as clueless as they're making him out to be. So I watched that for episode two. Another kind of interesting in the part of the silence. I love that idea of you know you forget them when you look away. That that's a new idea that I think is is, is great to work with. The, the the whole thing of like you know where the the angels are shown when you see them. These guys right. are forgotten when you don't see them, which is I I think is a great um, yeah a great. One thing thing there I'd just like to add in that I, I was worried there were rumours going about that they were going to be a bit like the gentleman out of Buffy, and I was relieved that they, they weren't really, you, you know where. They they would take the voices where 
I mean, I suppose all these things inspire different writers to come up with twists. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought that worked very well. Sorry, if Is I could just jump in there and ask a question: Do you really think that's a good idea, or do you think it's merely an inversion of the Weeping Angels idea? It's okay. Yeah, it's working on the the, uh, the Weeping Angel idea, all right. But it's, it's kind of a they say an inversion, and it's a new twist, which you know. Sometimes you need these things to to, to, to to keep fresh. Okay, I can I can understand that sometimes you know recycling ideas, just twisting around ideas, can seem a bit uh, repetitive still. But I, I thought it worked well. But I, I, one thing I have to compliment was the scene in the bathroom, right, where the the silence had uh, Doctor Manhattan style disintegrated this uh, this lady in the bathroom, and the the, um, the, the Amy asks. Why did you do that? Like she wasn't even going to remember you, and uh, I just loved the, the writing on this because the way he answered, he just said one word and he said joy, and I'm sure the whole audience was thinking, oh, this is like like those the four, five, six in Torchwood, you know, they get off on killing people like this, but then his next line, her name was Joy, yeah, and yeah, like I I thought that was very very clever writing, and I had to, uh, you know that that, that was I, I really liked that bit there. Like, you know, he, he misled you for just one second, and then... Just did that or, or a whole advert break, depending on where you were. All right, I didn't realize there was breaks on that. But, uh, well, imagine it, I don't know. Yeah, but, like, you know, they, they just misguided you for one second, thinking they're getting off and killing people, and then all of a sudden, no, they're actually, they know more than you. Her name is Joy, your name is Amelia, and you have to tell the doctor what he must know and what he mustn't ever know, and that that whole twisting, and then... Uh, it took me a while to remember it was 1969 when, you know, she looked service was like, what's that? That's my phone. Because obviously if that happened in 2011, he would probably swipe it off and smash it to bits like secret service, like you can't be making communications like that. But then I realized, oh yeah, it's 1969, he would not know what a mobile phone is. So, um, yeah, and then back into that room and the whole, um, the Jefferson, whatever the, the name of the three streets were. Um, yeah, I thought I was thinking of Rush Mount Rushmore when he was saying those. I was thinking, oh, it's going to be Mount Rushmore. Yeah, so that's where I thought as well. Like the 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 don't see on Mount Rushmore, but uh, but no, it wasn't just that. It was to do with Florida because he's a spaceman in Florida and all that stuff. And then the whole silence thing again, where um, well, we're getting noises he, from you again. Sorry, <laughs> my pocket was uh, clicking something on the desk. Remember, my mic's on the desk, so I had something on the desk. But anyway, moving on. The uh, the whole silent thing and the whole uh, forgetting the infinity them, which I mentioned earlier. Like now, interesting point about the sickness that Romana mentioned earlier. She said it was you know warning sickness as we know it uh, in pregnancy terms. I'm not so sure. I think it's just kind of a it's more to do with the silence that they are kind of you know when you're forgetting them that just gives you a queasy feeling in the stomach. Mm. Now I'm not. I that's why I think it's related to. That's why. When Rory went down to to uh, River, she was feeling a bit sick, queasy. I think that was more to do with the silence rather than the uh, than simply pregnancy. I think you mentioned earlier. So yeah, what, one of those two, one of the two can be a red herring, can't they? Yeah. Interesting line about uh, River when she was talking about beating the doctor. You know how they are going in exactly the reverse order, kind of time traveler's wife, or not that, but the mm. Benjamin Button, the curious case Benjamin yeah. Button style, meeting it in the middle there. How he said, how, 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 when she first met him, he knew everything about her, and she knew nothing, 
and how she kind of was foreshadowing um, the library story where she said, one day he's going to meet me and never know me and that's going to kill me, which, you know, is, um, I agree, uh, which well, we know is going to happen. Very episode first told us and we'll see where that goes. Uh, so, any other points? Yeah, the whole pregnancy thing from Amy, not completely unexpected. You know, that's kind of um, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes babies in a carriage. You know, that's basically where these kind of love stories kind of tend to go. And indeed, the doctor was kind of um, encouraging them towards the start. You know, you're going home, you're going making babies, go away. And uh, too late, Dr. Draw, you made one. So, the uh, interesting to see how that uh, plays out, not, not just within the two parts, but obviously throughout the series, does this mean that, you know, Carolyn and Arthur are going to leave the series at the end or what's going to happen towards the end, you know. Uh, we can speculate that until November, of course, which is when uh, the series finishes up. But uh, Of course, she could, ha- she could end up having this baby in 1969 uh, and therefore, when they return, the baby's grown up, she'll have to bring the baby up. <laughs> well, she's not that far along yet. I mean, she isn't even, well, unless, of course, the weight gain that the doctor commented on uh, at the start, she isn't even showing yet. So uh, right. I'm sure they, they, they'll have plenty moving on. Right. They'll have moved on. Right, yeah, leave it like that. I'm, I'm going to skip one of my uh, clips here because of the time. I'm, uh, with the one in the Oval Office, but it's quite a long one. Let me go to a little more light-hearted clip. Contemporary. Very contemporary. Cutting edge. This is from the space program. Stolen? What, by aliens? Apparently. But why? I mean, if you can make it all the way to Earth, why steal technology that can barely make it to the moon? Maybe because it's cooler. Look how cool this stuff is. Cool aliens. Well, what would you call me? An alien. Right, Dave, what did you think? Well, I've, I thought lots of things, but I'll try and be brief. Um, I thought it was a, a, a beautiful opening. I was very excited. I was slightly confused by, uh, you know, when we're arriving, even though I should have intellectually known straight off because, uh, you know, they were backpacking there and we know that they'd just left modern-day Britain. I, I was slightly taken aback by the, the sort of the over-generous greeting that the Doctor gave Rory uh, and uh, Amy Pond. But, of course, that's then explained because, from his point of view, it's 200 years since he's seen them. Because this is not their, you know, contemporaneous Doctor, uh, but 200 years in the future. And, of course, that's going to give lots of uh, fan fiction writers 200 years of Doctor Who adventures to fit in. Obviously, they don't have to be in consecutive order, but he's got 200 years of his own personal hours to to be filled with adventures. I didn't really like the, some of the silly opening. I mean, uh, I, thought, I thought that painting one was a bit daft, but... It was explained in the plot, so I suppose I'll I'll let that pass. And then, um, of course, they got they got the king in, didn't they? They got Elvis into that too. <laughs> and 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 like Romana, I like the little nods to you know Rory poking back the doctor. Even the straw, you know, going back to the uh, plasma ball. Yes, with Joe's the plasma ball. So that was a nice little uh, hit back, and a little bit back to the Area 51 diner. Although obviously I was not got as critical eye on that as Darth. The Oval Office, I must admit, it, it looked great to me, but I must admit, it didn't look... It looked too new, really. It looked more like 1980s, 1990s or whatever. It didn't look that old. I thought the actors doing uh, the, the the president and the uh, and and the two father-son actors, the shepherd actors, playing uh, K-9 
Canton Everett Delaware the third were excellent. All in all, it fairly rattled along. I'm wondering when uh, they may well have, when they booked the time out going to America, perhaps they were thinking they were doing a one-hour special rather than a two-part story. I don't know. It may well have been originally written as a one-episode one opener. It's certainly a complicated, high-risk gamble to go with the story. And like I was talking to my son earlier today, Matthew, uh, he said, well, the thing with Stephen Moffat, he, he front-loads all these things with all, all the questions. You don't get many answers. Some people who have the benefit of watching the confidential will know that he's reassured the fans. But, you know, that not all answers will be given, but certainly Riversong's story will come to some sort of conclusion. I'm dubious about things like that because I always feel as though the answers should be there for you to read if you're clever enough to read them. And that may well pan out. I'm certainly more confident about uh, Stephen handling two-part stories than I was with Russell T. Davis where, you know, lots of stories I quite liked, but then they seem to sort of nosedive for me. But again, that's just my particular uh, way of uh, viewing the series. And this also seemed more of a science fiction one rather than the fairy tale thing that, to me, was taking too much over in Doctor Who. Uh, that was my only criticism of Stephen Reed, that it was going a little bit too fairy tale. This seems a little bit more reality-based, and in that sense... I really did love it. It was nice that we saw this. I'm not even sure whether it is a TARDIS RA. I mean, it's, we've seen it fly. We know the, the TARDIS can fly, but it, it may just be a space control room. And it's obviously been there buried for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, of course, one of the nice things about this silence, because of this memory thing that they, they have, uh, they could have gone about there tasks with no people remembering although if amy had the presence of mind to take a photograph while she was looking at it on her phone presumably there should be other photographs there here and about i'm not too sure how they're going to solve it but it's certainly intriguing i did think there was a little bit of uh, because of this uh, introducing the, the story to possible new viewers uh, they, they had to have this rory explanation going on but Definitely, Rory's um, a firm third, you know, third leg of the stool now, and um, uh, he had some of the nice lines. I've got, in fact, perhaps I'll go to, I'll finish on that and, and play the next clip, and then uh, perhaps Ian, you want to take it over. I keep thinking you hear things. These tunnels are old. It's a maintenance hatch. It's locked. Why do people always lock things? You're going to open it, aren't you? Is this sensible? God, I hope not. Oh, you and the doctor. I can kind of picture it. Keep a lookout. What did you mean? What you said to Amy? There's a worse day coming for you. When I first met the doctor, a long, long time ago, he knew all about me. <laughs> Think about that. Impressionable young girl, and suddenly this man just drops out of the sky, and he's clever and mad and wonderful, and and knows every last thing about her. Imagine what that does to a girl. I don't really have to. Trouble is, it's all back to front. My past is his future. Every time we meet, I know him more. He knows me less. The day's coming when I'll look into that man's eyes. My daughter. And he won't have the faintest idea who I am. And I think it's going to kill me.
into this place. That's an alarm. Check if anything's coming. nothing out there. Right, Ian, your turn to talk about Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll have to agree with that, Darth, on her. Fabulous ass. Uh, I was like, it's a bit weird that she was climbing down the, the uh, manhole cover. It's like, we have had a shelf like, right underneath on that one. Please. Uh, maybe next, next episode. Yeah, she's fabulous and James. Alex Kingston. Yum. I, I kind of find myself looking going under this. Is he going to do something really, really clever, or is he just going to do some kind of sleight of hand at the end of the next episode, and I'm going to go, oh, well. I did a couple of things that I did like. I liked the, the, the reference to her packing, but they didn't say how she escaped. It's kind of one of those things like, like they never explained how, how the master escaped from possible death, and uh, the amount of times that they, they needed to get Worf into one of the Star Trek movies or something, and they never just, they just didn't explain, you know, why he was there. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, it's... They cut it off. It was just nice that, you know, they just left it that she's packing. <laughs> and they were all worried. Uh, I was a little curious as to the... Uh, this was mentioned in, uh, I think, Sexy Dalek's uh, review. A school bus dropping people off in the middle of nowhere. That's interesting. How, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you just flag down a school bus and get dropped in the middle of the desert? Hmm. And also... The well, it's Mel driving, perhaps. I mean, I, 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 yeah, sorry. Uh, the uh, I mean, people have been saying, well, what if what if the uh, the doctor fixed the chameleon circuit and and the car was his TARDIS? That's the only way I can think that he got it there without them actually seeing him at the side of the road. Uh, they arrive there and they look surprised that he's like across the street, even though they just pulled up on a bus. It's like, okay, how did that happen then? Hmm. I was unfortunately spoiled by. A, the BBC, B, somebody posting uh, the BBC's pictures on Facebook and tagging them with a friend of mine uh, name. Um, so as I'm scrolling down through the updates, there's this picture right in my face. Um, unfortunately, I saw the regeneration photos before I'd seen the episode, so I was a little ticked off about that. But uh, um, did tell people to avoid Facebook in case of things like that. Um, but then I'll explain why. Why was your clear of everything? Uh, I, I've watched it uh, twice now. On the second watching, I, I, I saw the TARDIS in the bathroom of the diner. I didn't catch that the first time, but then again, I was watching it with company and a uh, baby on my lap. So um, there, there were some nice bits. Uh, I wasn't overly concerned about the, the, the Oval Office. I'm not, yeah, that's not one of the things I kind of focus on, the set details. I actually thought the uh, their Americans line was hilarious. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. But then again, not being an American, that's one, probably one of the reasons why. Uh, it's along with the kind of... Uh, it, it, and the thing is, is this to and fro that goes on between cultures. I mean, uh, you watch any uh, anything, that, any of the talk shows when they're talking about uh, anything from Britain, they're like, well, it's probably because their teeth are falling out and, and their food's so lousy. It, it's this constant back and forth of, you know, they pick these little things about uh, about cultures and amplify them. Um, I just thought it was really funny. And then he changes his mind. He goes, oh, no, 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 don't shoot, don't shoot. The Mrs. Robinson line was, was good, though. Uh, the legs, the nose, and Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> oh, and, of course, the doctor's line. Oh, you've got that look on your face. What's that? 
he goes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I thought that was very, very funny. And, and it's nice to see the Doctor kind of flirting back with some really good lines. Uh, it's nice to see you know, him not being so... Yeah, tour guide. 
Sorry, I realized I'm rambling on and uh, I thought I was the last person to go, but no, I voted for Saxon to listen to hidden thing to say. So, um, yeah, uh, interesting episode. Uh, unfortunately, I was spoiled by a little bit of it. Um, maybe a major part of it, I don't know. But we'll see how it all plays out. The next time clip was uh, a bit too spoilerish for my liking because it, it had Amy basically saying, oh, I'm sorry for shooting you, which means you know, the little girl in the spacesuit didn't actually die. Unless it follows right on and then she collapses, who knows. Anyway, that's me done rambling. I've obviously had too much coffee because I'm talking really, really fast. But now it's time for I voted for Saxon. Sorry for the Go long ahead, wait. Man. Okay. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought they asked, uh, posed a lot of questions. And uh, one of the things I, I noticed upon reflection was the way that the doctor was appearing to want to get Amy and Rory's attention. That kind of reckless, carefree behavior was a lot like when he was summoned by the Ood and he didn't show up for a while and he said he did lots of things and one of them was uh, get married or, or something. That obviously this later 1103-year-old doctor knew something big was coming and he wanted to take some time off for himself, you know? Very much like after uh, Dr. Ten had been uh, exposed to the radiation, he went on like a grand tour of his friends and, and yeah. companions that obviously uh, when he took them on the picnic, that doctor knew everything that was going to happen, I think, and he, and he was at peace with it. It seemed that he let himself be shot, you know? So mm. it, it would seem that he must have some sort of, that, that doc had some sort of a plan, whatever that reset is going to be or how he's going to manage to go on, I, I wonder if it w will cost him a regeneration at the very least, the way that it happened, that uh, he was shot during a regeneration. I wonder if things do go back to some sense of normalcy, that they'll work in that now he's lost an entire re regeneration as the cost of all this. Right. There has right. I suppose it, it could be a whole time loop thing that, yeah. The, uh, this whole storyline cancels itself out. But. A absolutely, but I definitely think that the way that he acted, especially in those brief glimpses of his adventures, uh, that, he, that he knew that this was going to happen, he was prepared for it, and, and therefore you, you would think that he must have had time to develop some sort of a backup plan. So, right. Yeah. So how did it strike you as the season opener then? Was there, were there too many unsolved or unanswered questions? Or no, did you I like it as a setup? The thing about an opener is that it does, you know, pose. These are the things that must be worked out. These are the, the problems that must be overcome in, in the coming season. And it kind of gives you a little chart, you know. It says, well, you know, who, who was the astronaut that appeared to, to kill the doctor? You know, how will Amy's pregnancy factor into all this. And I, uh, one of the questions I was wondering was, why is it a crime for Canton, Delaware to, to be married? You know, that's a little teaser they, they just left dangling there. And how, how will that factor into all this? I, I did uh, notice the, the straw reference, and it did make me think of, as you mentioned, Dave, of uh, uh, Smith, Smith & Jones. Also the mention of Space 1969, made me think of the TV series Space 1999 and how the moon factored so prevalently in that TV series. And there's been numerous moon references uh, this season so far that the next 
episode has moon in, in, in the title. In the title, so, they have the moon, yeah. yeah. So they seem to be hitting uh, us all over the head with the with that at, at the very least. Uh, I didn't hear anyone mention it happened off camera, obviously, but was Rory exposed to the same fate as Joy was? You kind of, you know, hear something He disappeared, in the didn't he? Yeah. You kind of, I don't know, I didn't think disappear, maybe I missed it, but you kind of hear something in the background, and then it, it goes, it switches the, 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 yeah. the uh, scene, but you definitely heard the, the sound effect. Yeah, you know? that he's gone. That he might be gone in a similar way that he disappeared for a while, mm. you know, last season. Right, just, just to interrupt you a second, the, the, the one thing that's occurred to me in the back of my head is, are they actually killing those people? Right. Well, I didn't say kill, I said similar mm. fate. Well, yeah. Whatever yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But regardless, we see it off camera, so we're not entirely sure what's even happened to him, but yeah, that's all part of the wonderful cliffhanger that they didn't spoil with the trailer. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Uh, so. in, in the hidden secret clue uh, category, uh, the things that you might miss if you blinked, or they might not even really be important at all, right when the, uh, the Secret Service agent who escorts uh, Amy to the restroom, I found out through IMDB that his name is supposedly Phil. And, uh, and his, his name was also, there was a fill in the, in the end credits. It made no mention of him being a Secret Service agent. But this guy brings her to the bathroom. When she comes out and he says, what's that? She says, this is my phone. If you look over Phil's shoulder for less than a second, something appears uh, on his shoulder. It just bounces around. It might have just been a cameraman or someone be behind him. But after what happened in Flesh and Stone, I don't take anything that happens on screen for, for, uh, for granted anymore. And I was just wondering, you really need to use the freeze frame to, to see it well, but I was wondering if anyone else noticed that. Well, well with all the things that have been going on and that, and uh, yeah. so Lightfoot's already said she's going to have to go away and watch it again after listening and joining in here. Yeah, and, it, uh, it's right at the point where uh, she says, this is my phone. And then he, he repeats phone, and they switch to the camera angle, which is over his shoulder. And then you just see something bouncing around for less than a second. So I'm figuring it's probably just, you know, a, a, a production error. Now, see, I was distracted by the other production error in that very scene, which is the bust of whoever it is outside the restroom is not a U.S. president. So why the hell is he in the White House? That bugged me. But that's just, again, me being an American obsessed with the White House, that they got details wrong. But I will tell you this. There was another point, much like what you're saying here, of, a, of an instant of something weird, clarity, I don't know. And that's the moment that the doctor appears to get shot. I keep saying appear because I don't actually believe it. Um, mm. There is a sound effect in there that Tim Ricketts, you know, our, our supervising sound editor, has consistently placed only when there is a shield. It's the, it's the sound effect that we see in human nature when the guy goes up and finds the invisible ship and he starts pounding on the invisible ship and you get that sort of metallic sound. It's also there in Smith and Jones when the doctor throws a pebble out at the force field to demonstrate to Martha why they're able to breathe out on the balcony. And it's in Planet of the Dead when the doctor picks up some sand and throws it at the the wormhole, same sound, and it's there for an instant. And if you freeze frame it right at the moment that the discharge happens, 
it looks like a shield, not like an offensive weapon. Right. I don't know if that means anything. Well, the thing that caught me about that was as well that um, it must have been some force energy weapon, uh, indeed, because sure. if at that point an actual bullet had been fired at the Doctor and he's in a state of flux, the bullet would have just passed straight through him, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely mm. looked like to me some sort of like green energy mm. pro- projectile. I don't and, know and if the, anyone can identify other, that weapon. Yeah, and the other thing, of course, was when River Song was firing at the re, the receding space suited person, the astronaut, mm-hmm. she fires and then she says, of course, as though she realizes why her weapon hasn't had any effect on it. Because it's her. <laughs> I mean, that's my, that's my theory at this point, is because that's her, and she realizes, that's me in the suit, this is the guy that I killed. Mm-hmm. Well, one other thing but, is... Why, that wouldn't make it, would that, that wouldn't stop the bullets hitting that suited person, though, because she realized after she'd fired the shots. I don't think that's what she's saying, of course, to. I mean, oh. I don't know how much experience a woman from whatever century she's from has in shooting a, you know, right. standard revolver, and why the hell she even has it. I mean, where did she get it from? Did she grab it on the way out of Storm Gauge? I mean, well, I don't know. Her shoot, we saw her shoot the Stetson off the dock. Yeah, she was accurate there. She uh, to be, I suppose, big uh, well, I, I suppose. But, the, I mean, I, that's, you know, for, for Ian, the question is, why is there a big school bus? I note with pleasure that at least it's the right county of Utah that is supplying the, the school bus. Um, but, you know, for me, the real question is, what the hell is River Song doing with a six-shooter? Um, well, she was packing. She was packing, wasn't she? <laughs> packing uh, well, we, I mean, to yeah. be honest, we don't know how long she's been in, you know, uh, no. in present-day America. Sure. So she could have yeah. outfitted herself to, to blend in. I suppose. she's good enough be- time to get denim. I guess, but even so, why would you pick that weapon? I mean, it's hardly a modern weapon in 2011. Why would you pick that? I, I mean, mm, and, and you yeah. see the obvious disadvantage of it when she's firing. You know, you have to pull back the, the you have to cock it every single time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, that, that I, must admit being, I must admit being curious as to her comment of, of, of course. You know, yeah. Or of course not, or whatever it was. It was like, that's, that's a deliberate line for some reason. Right. You know? I mean, it is, but again, I think she's the one in the suit, and I think maybe she's, you know, if that is in reference to why the bullet isn't striking, which I don't believe it is, but if it is, then it's because she knows that she's got some sort of force shield around her in the suit, whatever. Yes, because we can't assume that the little girl that we see uh, in the end, in fact, I should play this next clip uh, now, uh, the last clip before the actual trailer one, Um, the, the girl's in the suit there, but... This is a different time period to that. So, you know, th- that, this is happening in present-day time. When we see Amy pointing the gun at the space suit, it's in 1969. So let me play this hey, little Can clip I say then. something in closing? Uh, well, yes, certainly. Yeah, yep. go ahead. I just wanted to mention that they're bringing up the whole Amy slash Amelia problem again. When, when the doctor says, you know, basically swear on something that matters, and she brings up the whole fish fingers and custard, he calls her Amelia, and when the silent called her by name, it, it called her Amelia. So I'm just wondering if that's, you know, just something or if it, if it means that she needs to do something in the future as Amelia that she can't do as Amy and whether, you know, whether yeah. it matters. Well, the silence says to her, tell the doctor what he needs to know and not what he shouldn't know. And she says to him, how do you know that? Now, whether she was referring to her pregnancy or something from her childhood, 
Well, I, assume what the, I, I assumed what the doctor needed to know was the fact that she was pregnant, and what he must not ever know was the, his fate. But right. we all know he'll, fi he'll find out eventually, somehow. Okay, let me play that clip now. And I had something I wanted to tell him. Stuff always gets in the way. Stuff does that. Amy? What's wrong? I need to tell you something. It's important. It's really, really important. Captain, quickly! Well, now! Captain! Captain! Are you okay? Is he all right? Just unconscious. Got a proper whack, huh? Doctor, I need to tell you something. I have to tell you it now. Not a great moment. No, it's important. It has to be now. Doctor, I'm pregnant. That's it. The astronaut. have released some preview clips and they are 
slightly spoilery. And uh, Dave? Well, uh, for me, I think it could be excellent. Uh, I, I, I do feel as though the, the way the thing was designed, it's got one eye on new watchers. It also seems to, there seems to be a number of, where we talked about that, the shooting of the Doctor at the lakeside. I didn't know whether the, we seem to have one of these double takes where the Doctor got, he's got shot three times, you know, they got shot once uh, with Amy's reaction. Then they got shot a second time. I thought, well, is that going to be, an, is that an advert break? Was that double shot in there to sort of recap after the advert break? And then, of course, the third uh, killer shot hits him. Uh, I did think it was very visually well done. The, um, the, the, the sort of fanicking funeral, I suppose, was done for cinematic effect, but it, it, it certainly worked well. There's an awful lot to be intrigued about this, but it, it's certainly one that you have to watch back a few times. And, and during the course of our little podcast today, uh, there's at least four or five things I need to check back, and I've already watched it through twice. So um, obviously it, it, it's, it's going to stand plenty of rewatchings, which will keep Mr. Kendi very happy. So my rating could be easily, it's easily a four, I think, and could go higher and could, of course, uh, drop from that. And Mr. Darskipel. Well, um, you know, as the first episode or story that has been filmed in America, I'm, of course, uh, hyper-sensitive to it portraying America in a good way and an accurate way. And I, I think it really did fail for me on, on the, a lot of those scores, especially at the end, which we haven't really talked about, and that is how the hell are there these caverns that have been underneath Cape Kennedy for years when development in that area only started in 1950. I don't really understand any of that, but and I don't think that's going to be explained. I think I think that somehow Stephen Moffat just fundamentally doesn't understand that in 1969 there's only really been serious settlement at that precise location for you know 19 years. So there's nothing ancient about that place at all. Um, so a part of me, you know, really, I can, I can pick holes in just about everything having to do with the depiction of America in this episode, and that's unfortunate because I really wanted it to be right. I will say, however, that compared to Winston Churchill last season, our actor here is closer to the actual figure in terms of the portrayal than was Ian McNeese. I don't know what that's really saying because we all know that Ian McNeese wasn't even trying to be close to Winston Churchill, but was instead trying to do a caricature. But, you know, for what it's worth, Stuart Milligan is a, a better Richard Nixon than uh, Ian McNeese was a Winston Churchill. Now, that said, that's really only one part of the deal. And, and, and the bigger thing is, you know, the story itself. And what I love about this episode, and the reason that I'll give it a four out of five, really, is because I think this is Stephen Moffat's grand statement that all those people in fandom and even John Nathan Turner and even Peter Davison, who said that in 1982, the TARDIS was too full and you can't possibly have a satisfying episode that has three different companions along with the Doctor, are wrong. All it takes is a good writer. Because not only do we have you know, our standard two companions, which you know, for the first time in the history of the new show, we have two regular companions the whole way through. We also have you know, a third and then, as if just to prove us wrong, Stephen Moffat gives us effectively a fourth for this episode, and all four of the subsidiary characters have something interesting about them. You know, e even our FBI guy, you know, as, as Scar... As, oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name. 
as um, was pointed out a few moments ago, you know, there's an interesting question surrounding him. Why would being married be a bad thing for an FBI person? You know, that's going to be fleshed out next time, probably. Yeah, the, the, the uh, Consonaver at Delaware. Yeah, e- even he has something interesting. Rory has interesting, poignant moments throughout. Amy had some great stuff, and I've got to disagree with you, Ian, as somebody who didn't really like Amy, you know, the whole way through last series, I really did like her the entire way through this episode. But again, that's because this episode largely has her doing what she's really good at, Karen Gillan, and that is fear acting and um, reacting, you know, teary acting, serious acting. Um, There were a few moments of humor, but largely she was great in this episode. Um, And so I, I think to me what's really satisfying about this is that this is maybe the first episode of Doctor Who, certainly in a long mile, where you have essentially four companions. I mean, we've never really had a four companion TARDIS before. And every one of them has something interesting to say and moves the story along. And I think that all of these characters are better in this episode than they were last series, if they were in last series. So for me, four. Um, I don't, however, I'm, I'm with you, Ian, not hoping for much next week. Uh, I, I mean, I just don't. And if not next week, then by the end. I just don't see how there is any satisfying way possible to point-blank kill off the doctor right in front of our eyes, to let us see the entire thing, to let us see the regeneration process start, then to watch the regeneration process get halted, then to watch the body burn and not think when he comes out of it inevitably fine that somehow or another we've been cheated. There's There's no way to do it. And if he manages to do it, I'll be the happiest guy alive, but I don't believe that Stephen Moffat has the chops. If he manages to do it without putting the little pee under a cup and moving it around a couple of times, then I'll be satisfied. If he does it without uh, sleight of hand and a bit of hocus-pocus magic fairy tale dust, then I'll be, I'll be happy. But It's something to do with the gasoline. It's something to do with the boat that was planted there. Oh, how convenient. Look, there's a boat. It, it, it wasn't real gasoline. It was gasoline that protected the body instead of incendiating. <laughs> there's something... There's a false bottom of the boat. Push the lever. Yeah. Well, the, 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 if the astronaut came out of the lake, presumably there's a TARDIS under the lake, maybe. Who no, knows? That's where his TARDIS was. It was, <laughs> it was the boat. And then remember, we're um, saying this is speculation and fun. Yeah. We're not, oh, yeah, we're not yeah. spoiling anybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah, don't no. know all. Of no, I don't know at all. But but whatever um, it is, some aspect of it is going to be at least as objectionable to people who who didn't like Handy in you know, uh, Journey's In, who didn't like that cheat in, in Journey's In, something's going to cheat in this, too, and, and, you know. Good luck Speaking to you people burning. who think that Stephen Moffat is better than RTD, because he's not. He's as good as, but he's not better. Speaking of burning cheats uh, in Journey's End, I mean, wasn't the TARDIS supposed to be burnt uh, in that episode? And that turned out to be uh, not as expected. In Journey's End? Journey's End? Uh, no, in Journey's End. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, the, the Daleks threw the TARDIS down into some molten oh, yeah. pit. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But that wasn't, in fairness, that wasn't something that was set up. I mean, that was something that happened within the same episode. That wasn't like a cliffhanger thing that you had to think about. It was, oh, they dumped it into this pit, and oh, Handy sprang up and pushed a button, and off they went. I mean, it, it was within five minutes of narrative time, not like this is going to be. Whatever this solution is, there's going to be some aspect of it that 
Somebody's not going to like it. It's not going to be. It's not going to be pretty. Um, I just want to add. Well, my rating is. Uh, I'll give it a three for the moment. Uh, the other thing that uh, being uh, a resident of Florida and sitting with uh, uh, other residents of Florida while watching this, we all just stared at the screen in disbelief when there's supposedly caverns under Florida. We That's don't even saying. have. We don't have basements in Florida. You can't have a basement. Disney. Disney is actually built. They they have a basement, but they built the basement on ground level Mars- and then built Disney on top of it. Right. And this is Cape Canaveral. Ba- this isn't even inland. <laughs> this is it's right on claims, Cape Canaveral. Claims one, it? Yeah. yeah, it's like do your research. You can't have a basement in Florida. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and that's the thing that's so objectionable about all of these errors. Every single one of them could have been fixed by going to the internet. Not like going into serious research. Just go to Wikipedia, type in Cape Canaveral, look. I mean, yeah. it, it just boggles the mind. <laughs> they just miss, you know, why is there a picture of, or why is there a bust of Alfred Lord Tennyson in the White House? I mean, no. I mean, the only the bust they could find in Cardiff. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there, there are busts that you can find of bearded presidents. If that's what you want, you can, you know, we can get you Rutherford B. Hayes. There is an actual bus. You can find the mold. You can do it. I don't um, know. If there had been a real president, somebody said, from seven, the president guarding the women's toilet. Well, yeah. that's the other, I mean, that is the other question is, why even have it there? Because, I mean, I thought that too. I was like, what? They're putting a bust of a president? I mean, even if you said, okay, this is not a president, but it is somebody from the executive office, so, you know, it's an ex-secretary of state or something like that. Um, but, see, it wouldn't be in the White House, though. You wouldn't have a secretary of state because that would be in the State Department. So it's got to be a president, and it wouldn't be a vice president either. It would be a president, and it just wasn't. It was so patently, obviously not a president. It's just somebody kind of looks like Tennyson, you know? Uh, they just failed in basic research on this episode, and it really disappoints me, because this was the grand arrival into America, and they really should have made it look right. All right, thank you very much. Um, time to close this out because I'm just getting told off by my wife. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, there's a couple of but, ratings in text. Yeah, real, real quickly, we're going to go to the text here. Um, Terry Lightfoot says, uh, hard to rate, uh, two incomplete, possible three. Uh, Romana, two, is actually still awake and uh, lurking around. She's awaiting part two, but uh, probably, close to a, probably close to a four. Uh, Cybob is waiting for the second part to get rating. Randall Thor gives it a four out of five. The law four out of five, and uh, it was an eight out of ten there somewhere. Eight out of ten for Zimini Pot uh, sixty-nine. I think that's everybody. Excellent. All right, there's nothing more to say then. It's goodbye from Mr. Dave Acey. and it's goodbye from Ian Six Doctor. Goodbye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.